only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Scripture passage today is from Romans 8. It's on page 944 in your Pew Bible. And we're going to be reading verses 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, bless us that we will see your power in the earth, that we will see your greatness. We will see how this applies so closely to each one of us, and that, Lord, you are personal with your people as a whole, and you're personal with each one of us individually. We pray, Lord, that we will walk with a new confidence, and Lord, we'll have a new resilience in the face of all of our difficulties that we face. We pray that we will, Lord, be able to see you in the midst of the the greatest difficulties and the greatest tragedies, that we will lay hold of this promise that all things work together. That we will lay hold of the promise later in verse 32 that if you did not spare your own son, how will you not with him freely give us all things? Lord, we pray that we will grow in that grace that would make us then in the midst of every circumstance to, to know something of the presence of God in it. To not feel abandoned by God. To not feel distant from you, Lord, but to lay hold by faith that you're in the middle of everything that's happening to us. And your purpose is for good and not for evil. Purpose is to bring about our final salvation in every single thing, in every relational difficulty, in every financial challenge, in every physical, uh, medical challenge. Lord, central to everything is your purpose to bring about our final salvation in Christ. And nothing will turn you from that purpose. Nothing can interfere or halt that purpose. It will be done by your grace. We praise you, Lord, that you have laid hold of us. It is not so much that we have laid hold of you, but you have laid hold of us. Lord, you have initiated this relationship. You purposed this relationship 
before we were, before the whole world was. And you purposed even then what its final outcome would be. As even Jesus says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me, and I will not lose any of them, but I will raise them up on the last day. So we are secure in your hand. As Jesus later said, you're my, they are my sheep. My sheep will hear my voice. That my sheep follow me, and no one will snatch them from my hand. Lord, we thank you for this security that we have, this amazing dedication of God to our good, your covenant faithfulness that can never, ever be turned away. Indeed, as we have just sung a hint of this verse, that every morning your mercies are new. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, we pray for the many needs of our congregation, many marriages that are hurting and struggling, so many that have lost a parent even in the last several months. We are at that age. We pray for your comfort and strength for those. We pray for those who are struggling with various kinds of sickness, children who are sick, We pray that in all of this, we will seek your face and find you and know you and and, and trust in you. We pray for our sister Carol Redfield as she begins chemo this week, Lord, that you would bless her and sustain her and strengthen her. Know, Lord, that this would, as this very passage says, will prove to her good as you've promised. We pray that you would lessen the effects, that she would bear the medicine, that, Lord, you would keep those to a minimum. It would have its proper effect, that you would completely remove any trace of this disease from her body. Lord, we we confess to you that in so many ways we don't trust you. In so many ways... Even when things are bad or when things are good, how easy it is for us to neglect you. How easy it is for us not to be in awe of the presence of God in our lives. How easy it is for us to be in an argument with a spouse and it's as though you don't exist at that moment. We're not submitting to you. We're not aware of you. We're not seeking to please you. We're not aware of your glory and majesty. We're not, the the love of Christ on the cross is not in view at that moment. Oh Lord, how shocking it is that we, your people, can shut you out in a moment. We pray, Lord, break through all the obstacles and barriers. Break through all the unbelief and suspicion that still exists in our lives. Search us and know us and see if there be any hurtful way in us, as the psalmist prays. And lead us in the way of everlasting. Lead us in the way of faith. Lead us in the way of laying hold of your promises. As Peter says that, We partake of the divine nature through the precious and great promises. That we might partake of you and and embrace you and rest in you and find delight in you because we believe your promise. Bless us to that end, O Lord. We pray this, that you may be glorified in our joy 
and our trust and our rest. Amen. Well, if you're uh, new, perhaps, to the Christian faith or may not know that this verse, this one we'd all say is one of the biggies, right? I don't know if there's a, maybe John 3.16, but in terms of daily living, Romans 8.28. We all kind of fall on several sides of it. We probably have gone through periods where we think, I don't want to hear that anymore. I don't want to hear somebody just come up to me and say, oh, all things work together for good. You know, in a, in a flippant way, as though it doesn't matter the pain I'm going through. It doesn't matter the tragedy that's occurred to me. It doesn't matter how devastating I am. I, I, I am in this. Uh, it, this is just a little thing you put over everything. All things work together for good. And yet we can be, so we can be jaundiced against it. We can be kind of prejudiced against the glory of this, this promise. Uh, we also misunderstand it, and apparently in this modern, uh, our, our modern context, many people think that the good is a lot of things that it's not. And a lot of people, as we're going to get into it, I think what seems to be good or good news would be to many people not good at all. In fact, bad news, really, really bad news. Uh, because the good that Paul is talking about isn't, it just isn't the good that we want. So we're going to dive into it and try to explore what this uh, passage is about and hopefully pull some great comfort for our lives. As you see, the uh, first point I've got here is the critical place of our love for God. That's up front in this passage, and it, it finds the primary position. So, you, as, for those who love God is prominent. The second thing we'll look at then is the critical priority of God's love for us. Paul doesn't want us to think that God looks upon the world. He just looks around, sees who loves him and says, okay, well, this one loves me. I'm going to do good to them. This one doesn't. Not going to do good to them. This one does Rather, Paul guards this so that we understand the, the reason that anybody loves him is the priority of God's love for us. So it's those who love God, but we'll see in the context, it's as though Paul says, it's those who love God, rather those who are loved by God, those who have been affected and changed by God's love. So the critical priority of God's love for us. And then finally, the critical prospect of the people of God. That is the critical good news that is set forth here for us. The, the news that we must have in the midst of all the terrible things that go on in this world and the terrible things that happen to us, that every single thing works together for only one thing, good. Every single thing. Nothing's left out. And it works for one purpose, good, and nothing else. So that's why we have our GPS is fixed on good, right? Everything leads that way. Everything. Now that's a challenge. That's a challenge in the midst of the things that we face to believe that. But that is the promise. 
and is the promise by which, as Peter says, you lay hold of God. You lay hold of the true nature of God. Really what's going on in this world. That you lay hold of the reality behind the appearance. And you live in light of that reality. And you're sustained by that glorious reality. But first we see the critical place of our love for God. All things work together for good for those that love God and for no others. No others. This is really a summary of our Christianity. And so it's significant in that way. This is what our Christianity is all about. Simple. Loving God. Desiring Him. Wanting Him. Wanting to know Him. Wanting to be like Him. Wanting to obey Him and serve Him. Wanting to make Him known. Love in the deepest, most passionate affection that issues in the full giving of ourselves over to Him. We don't do that perfectly. But fundamentally, this is what happens in salvation. We're brought from people that don't love God, from being people that don't love God, to people who do love God. That's a summary. And if, if that's absent, then we haven't, we haven't begun to taste His grace. This is the happy outcome of salvation because it is our glory to love God. It's our dignity to love God. To love Him supremely and not fix our affections on something less than God. How demeaning. How trashy that our lives would be spent for anything else but God. That we would love anything else. Only He is worthy of that supreme love. And so it is our dignity and glory to love Him. It is our freedom to love Him because as we're going to see... The good that he's talking about can only be good to those that love him. It's not going to be good to people who don't love him. But to those who love him supremely, this good is the sweetest good that they could have. And it makes every trial and difficulty sweet in the, to know that ultimately it's bringing about this good because we really do love him. It gives us, so love for God is our freedom. Love for God is our satisfaction because He's the one you're made for. You're not, you're not made to love anything else supremely and you will run down and be destroyed eventually in this life and, and beyond if you don't love Him supremely. You're not made for idols. You're not just made for this created world. You're made for Him. That's your glory. That's, it shows how large you are. You know, what a magnificent creature you are. Not the product of evolutionary process, but the making of this God for this God. It's your glory and dignity. It's your satisfaction and joy to love Him. And it is a love that is full of gratitude. It's a love that's full of trust. A trusting love, a thankful love. We could say an amazed love. You know, a, a love that's overwhelmed with the beauty and glory of God. That's why we love Him, because we're so amazed at who He is and what He is. It's a worshiping love, you see, a praising love. Calvin says, it's the whole of true religion, and he says the whole pursuit of righteousness depends on this. I think that's so important, and it ties in with 
what you see, really what Paul says here is a, a shortened version of what's all the time said in the Old Testament. And, and you can see it like in the Ten Commandments there in Exodus 20, showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You see the phrase later in Nehemiah, those who love him and keep his commandments, the same in Daniel. And then look at First John there on your sheet. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Yikes. <laughs> the definition is that we keep his commandments. But it shows that this affection and desire and delight in him just naturally issues in giving my life up to Him, you see. This, this joy and love uh, toward Him naturally means I love Him as for who He is, and He's the Lord of the earth. He's my Creator. He has all authority over me. He has every right to tell me what to do, and I love Him because everything He tells me to do is rich and good for my life and those around me. And so, yes... I cannot love without obey Him. If I love Him, I will obey Him. This is why I obey Him, because I love Him. Obedience is always the expression of our love. So, the critical place of our love for God in this passage. All things work together for those who love God. Now, sometimes the question comes up about all things. And certainly we'll see that in verses 35 and following, it primarily is talking about the persecution and the difficulties that we face. Especially in light of the terrible things that happen to us, we need to know all things work together for good. Sometimes the question comes up, does that include our sin? And most writers would say, yes, it includes our sin. However... It doesn't include a life that's totally lived in abandonment of God, that all things will work together. As one has said, this phrase, those who love God, sets a certain limit to that understanding of our sins. For those who love God, yes, even their failures, God weaves and works them about to bring about an ultimate good. But that doesn't mean that in the total abandonment of the love of God and a life lived totally apart from God, that all things will work together for good, okay? So, the critical place of our love for God. But, secondly, the critical place or priority of God's love for us. Now, as I say here, verses 29 and 30 explain verse 28. And we need to look kind of closely at what's said here. Because when he says, those who love God, he then adds, and this is like uh, one, one version has an, uh, a, a colon there, those who love God, that is, those who are called according to his purpose. And notice there is a calling, and it's in line with a purpose that he had, a plan, we might say, is a more common uh, word that we would use. That God has a plan or a purpose. And so in line with that purpose, he calls us to himself. We'll look a little bit at what calling means. But in the next verse, he begins to enlarge on what that means. What is this purpose? And, and what ended up, what is the purpose that he has? And then how did it uh, spin out, so to speak? 
He says, for those whom he foreknew, which means to know intimately beforehand, to set your love and to be intimately acquainted, so to speak, beforehand, to have your heart upon them beforehand. Those whom he knew in this intimate way beforehand, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So this is the purpose They're called according to His purpose. Here's the purpose, that they finally in that last day, and in everything that leads up to that and progressively toward that, that they would be conformed to the image of God. So if you could picture it, here's God before the foundation of the world. He has a plan and a purpose. And the ultimate purpose is that these people in that final day would all be conformed to the image of Christ. Now... In that process, where does calling come? In verse 30, those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. Glorified is at the same spot, okay? Being conformed to the image of Christ, glorified. He had spoken earlier in chapter 8 about that glory. Verse 18 The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Or in verse 21, he talks about the glory of the children of God. And verse 23, the adoption and of our, the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. All of those phrases talking about the glory that we're going to have, the revealing of the glory of the sons of God, the redemption of our bodies. It's the same thing as being finally conformed to the image of Christ or glorified. So calling comes along in between purpose and final end. It's when the purpose of God meets the person themselves. Okay? It's when the purpose of God meets this person, brings this person into relationship with God. And at that point, this person is justified and finally will be glorified. Now, we're going to look at verses 29 and 30 more closely next week. But at least you need to see that the purpose, which all things work together for good for those according to a purpose, the good that he's talking about and the purpose that he's talking about is this conformity to the image of Christ, okay? It's defined by the context. And so that really takes us through A and B there, that the the good of verse 28, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Here's his purpose, that they be conformed to the image of his son. So for, for Paul, this is the ultimate good of any human being, that they would have the glory and beauty of being made perfect in love, being made perfectly like Jesus Christ. It is the ultimate of happiness. And so in C there, you can see at the bottom of the page where calling fits in, in Scripture. There's this purpose of God. He has a counsel, purpose. Then according to that purpose, he predestines. He, he makes sure that these things are going to happen. And then in time, he calls us or adopts us. And then ultimately we end up in glory. And on the next page, I've included a few passages so that you see this is a regular way that Paul thinks of all of life. It's the way he thinks about our salvation. 
Notice in Ephesians 1, he predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of his will. Okay? Ephesians 1, you see the same thing. We've obtained an inheritance. Why? Because we were predestined according to the purpose of him. And notice again, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. And counsel of his will is just another word for purpose. So everything he's doing, and notice the all things there, again, like Romans 8, 28. He works all things according to this counsel or this purpose that he had in eternity. It's an amazing statement. All of these are amazing statements of this absolute sovereignty of God. That he has a plan before the foundation of the world and he carries out that plan And the good news is, you and I would have said no to God. As long as we look, we would have said no to the goodness and greatness of God and the beauty of Jesus Christ had God basically said, I'm not going to take no for an answer from you. That's the only reason any of you believe in him. And the only reason any of us love him is God said about Darwin, you would not trust me. You would not love me, but I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm going to so reveal my son to you. I'm going to so implant his glory into your heart that you're going to see him and you're going to trust him and you're going to love him. Why he doesn't do that with every single person, I'll leave you to ask God that one day. But this is how he operates in those who come to him. He makes sure that they see his glory and believe in him. And notice in 2 Timothy 1, 9, that next passage, he saved us, called us with a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Do you see it? He saved us, called us to himself, not because of anything he saw in us, but it rested in that purpose and grace which was given us before the ages began. (laughs) Pretty clear that it happened then, that it was planned then, before you were ever here. And the important thing for you to realize is some people are pretty resistant to the idea of God's predestination or election or God having this purpose. Though you can see that people haven't made this up. They just find it there in the Bible. I remember one time talking to a guy, Sandy Mayer. Some of you older people with me may remember that he was a, a tennis player. And he happened to be in John Sartell's house in Memphis during our clinical year. And Sandy started talking about election. And I was pretty new to to these things myself. And I thought, well, somebody must have taken him aside and shown him these things, you know. And I said, well, how did you you get to see that election's in the Bible? And he looked at me in the strangest look. He says, well, it's all there in the Bible. You know, (laughs) like I thought he had to have somebody tell him that it's in the Bible, you know. And he said, I just found it. I just read the Bible and there it is. It's everywhere, you know. Well, it is. It's there. And so people hadn't made this up. They hadn't like, I'm going to invent a word, predestination. You know, that'll really get people mad. You know, 
Election. There's a word that will get people riled up. No, it's just there. You know, it's just in the Bible. So trying to deal with what's there. But I do want you to notice this in case these things are new to you or if they're not. In 2 Timothy, the choice is either that it was based on God's purpose or it's based on our works. You see that? He says, He called us to Himself and He saved us. And why would He save us and not another? It was not because He saw, Oh, Darwin, you know, you're doing better than this and this and this and this person. I'm going to save you. It wasn't that he looked ahead and saw somebody's faith and said, gosh, you're good. You have faith. I'm going to pick you. Oh, you don't have faith. You don't have faith. You don't have faith. You don't have faith. Oh, you have faith. I'm going to pick you. He says it wasn't because of seeing something that differentiated this person from another. We can't look and say, oh, God picked me because of something in me. We can't do that. We're humble to think he chose us just because he did in spite of the fact that we're evil like anyone else. And it causes us to be grateful for His mercy. He saved me because of His own purpose and grace, not because of my works. And wonderfully, He gave me that before the world began. And so, this calling, as I say here, you see it in a short version in 1 John four nineteen. We love because He first loved us. Simple. You love God? That's wonderful. You love God because He first loved you. Your, our love for Him is a response to His love. His love is, is prior to our love. Our love is a, is a representation, uh, an emblem of the fact that He has loved us. Um, and it's, it's only that. And then you'll see here that uh, calling is what we call in theology effectual calling. We might say effective calling. By calling here, and, and this is usually what is meant in the Bible, it doesn't mean the gospel just calling people to come to know Christ. Okay? So, because that goes all over the place, and many, many people don't believe that gospel, right? But here in Romans 8... It's obvious that he's talking about a calling that brings us into relationship with God and ultimately lands us in glory. Because it's lined up with these other things. Called according to his purpose. And every single one he calls, he justifies. And every single one he justifies, he glorifies. So there's no doubt. If you've been called, it's an effective call into relationship with God and it will ultimately end up in your being made glorious, your, your, your entrance into glory, <clears throat> the resurrection of the last day. So that's what we mean by effective calling, a, a calling. It, it's a word because the, God's word is, is so prominent in Scripture. It's a way to describe God bringing us from darkness into light in a complete way. Let me just read to you one of the passages that is listed there uh, in terms of, uh, of calling. 1 Peter 2.9 your, your chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim his excellencies who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's the meaning of calling. 
It brings you from darkness into light, from being dead to life, from being lost to being found. And it's his action. It's, it's a way to summarize everything God does to bring you from the one place to the other. And it is effective. And if he sets out to call someone to himself, they will be called. And if it is his purpose to call someone, it will be fulfilled. That's why Jesus can say, and you can compare these verses, John 6, 37 through 39, all that the Father gives me, there's the purpose, okay, shall come to me, there's the call, and I will lose none in the last day, but will raise him up. There's the glory. All that the Father has given me, there's the purpose, shall come to me. (laughs) No doubt about it. They're going to come to me. There's the call. And I won't lose one of them, but I'll raise them up on the last day. That's Jesus' version of Romans 8, 29 and 30. Okay? That's Jesus' version of that same uh, thing happening in our life. Well, this amazing truth for us is the reason that we can be secure. It's not based on your own faith, ultimately. It's not based on how strongly you are holding on to God. It's the fact that God, in a sense, laid hold on you before the world began. And, And it was His idea. That comforts me. He came to me. I didn't come to Him. He brought me to Himself. I would never have been brought to Him. One writer has, he says, it is a love without us and against us. You know, his point is that when he began to love us in this way, we didn't love him. So it was a love that was outside of us, a love against us, but it was a love that ultimately overcame us and drew us so that we loved him. Gosh, to think that God would set his love on us in this way. And that's why Paul would emphasize in Romans 5, 8, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This shows the love of God. And when he found us, he found a heart that was dead to him, a heart that had no love for him, and he began to open up that heart to love him by showing us his love in Christ Jesus. And so your security, the guarantee of your security is this work and purpose of God. Now, here's the point. Romans 8.28 is pretty popular, right? It's pretty popular that we use this verse, all things work together for good. But in the context of Scripture, and in the context of this passage, the only reason things work together for good is that there are things like that ugly word, predestination. Okay? It's interesting how resistant we are to the word predestination, right? Many of us have been. We all know we kind of struggle with that and what it means. We'll talk some about that. But we love the idea of all things work together for good, right? I don't want to do away with that because I like that. I like everything working together for good. No, I don't think God predestines and plans everything from the beginning and is sovereign over all things. Okay, well then just mark out Romans 8, 28. 
just mark it off and say, I don't believe all things work together for good because I don't believe in predestination. I don't believe God plans everything. I don't believe God has control over everything. So I don't believe all things work together for good. If you're going to resist the sovereignty of God, you have to resist the sweetness of Romans 8.28. His lordship is the most glorious thing for his people. That he is Lord over all. All things work together for the good of his people. And so here's the good. The good is spoken in terms of conformity to Christ. I think ultimately he's talking about that final conformity, but certainly it includes the growing conformity in this life. As he talks about in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're being transformed from glory to glory into the image of Christ. So it catches that up to point to that final ultimate goal, that this process will continue to occur Everything will contribute to that process of being made like Christ and will ultimately end up and and ultimately contribute to our final conformity. As Calvin puts it, all things work together for our salvation. And that's what the Heidelberg said, right? All things work together for our salvation. Not only will every, every hair from my head, you know, he knows that, but all things work together for this. That's the comfort that I have. But here's the bad news. If you want comfort, ease of life, you want to be guaranteed that you're healthy no matter what and you're going to be wealthy no matter what, and that's what you want from God, I've got terrible news for you. I've just got terrible news for you. Not only is He not going to do that for you, Or if he does do it, he's going to ultimately take it away in judgment and you'll be taken off the earth and be in the place of darkness because you've set your love on something other than God. Why would he give that to you? Why would he say, okay, I'll give you your idol? Because you're really only in this so that you'll get healthy and wealthy. And that's the tragedy of the so-called health and wealth gospel, good news, that our hearts would be so fixed on stuff that we can't even imagine suffering and losing everything for the glory of knowing and being like God. Where in the world have we come that we have religion that's set up to deliver to you idols. And for you to use God, may I say it, as a pimp to deliver your so many prostitutes that you want instead of your husband God. All things work together for this good. And we're going to explore this next week in terms of what we go through and how we can lay hold of this promise in the midst of the things that we struggle at. But... See this, the good that he promises is the good of having more of God, of being like God, of being conformed to Christ, of learning to be, becoming a person that is free to love others. If that's not your goal in life, if that's not what you hunger, we talked about hungering and thirsting after righteousness, then God has no deal for you. See, you have to like the swap. 
You have to like the swap that he takes your whole life and he may do anything in the world with your life. But he gives you himself. (laughs) He gives you his glory. He gives you fellowship with him. He gives you likeness to him. He gives you a feasting upon him. But you got to want that swap. And you say, you know, you're kind of looking around God. You know, he says, I offer you myself, I offer you myself. You're kind of looking around and say, you got anything else back there? And he looks at it and he says, no, no. And here again, I've said this before, but the tragedy is if you set your heart on something other than God, then you're going to lose that in the end anyway. You know, golly, what, what a tragedy especially as we've seen in the passages before, that embracing God and having Him as your first love, you end up inheriting the earth. You end up inheriting the earth and the glory of it. God isn't kidding that He is the treasure. He is the treasure that we need. Well, we're kind of cutting off in the middle here, but hopefully you can at least see some of the structure of this passage, some of the ways and and how important it is to see something in its context. And then to be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that this good will be pursued by God. You know, we, we struggle and we languish of how little we are like Christ at times. But here's an encouraging note. His eternal purpose. His eternal purpose to be pursued and it he will not turn back from that purpose is to conform you to Christ. It's to conform you to Christ. And all things, for those who believe, all things will contribute to that. And so there can be no bad circumstance in one sense. Say, well, this may hurt. Hurt worse than what happened to me yesterday. But it's all pointing to the same thing, and that's what I want in my life. May we take courage and trust in the great work that God is doing in our lives. Let us pray. Oh, Father, what my my God ordains is right, as we have just sung. May we see everything in this light, Lord. May we see everything in the light of a God who has an eternal purpose, and He's bringing that purpose about in this world and in the lives of His people. Oh, Lord, may it thrill us, may it amaze us, We have a new trust in you. And Lord, again I pray, keep us from living any part of our life apart from you. Apart from seeing God is present. God is in the midst. His purpose is being carried out right now in this. And to see that purpose and to lay hold of it and for that to be our purpose, to be the love of our heart, of wanting you more than anything else and wanting to be conformed to Jesus more than anything else. And seeing that as our treasure, the greatest, the only treasure in life. As Doug Kelly one time said, the only tragedy in life is that a human being would not be conformed to God. The only tragedy, oh God, may we believe that.
And may we seek it with all our hearts. And may we trust in your great purpose with all of our hearts. And if there is anyone here who has not begun to trust Jesus Christ, may they look at Christ, crucified for sinners, bearing the punishment which we deserve, and therefore God offering through Him absolute forgiveness of sins, acceptance into His presence, and His hands to get hold of our lives to begin to form us into the beautiful image of Jesus Christ. May they even now trust you and say, Oh, Lord Jesus, I trust you. Will you forgive me and transform me? And in that final day, make me like yourself. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away, won't you chase my fears away?